Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here. If you want, you can open up your uh, Bibles to Genesis in uh, uh, chapter 37. One of the longest stories in the Bible uh, occurs between Genesis 37, chapter 37, and chapter 48. Eleven chapters talking about Joseph this man's life and what happened to him. We started this new series last week called The Bait of Satan. And it really is all about offense. And as Taryn introduced us to this message last week and started talking about what that means, and he was asking questions about it, and you don't have to do it this week, but how many of us have been offended? And he's like, how many of you have been offended in the last week? And just about every hand went up. What about the last couple of days? What about, he said, today or this morning? And several hands went up. And so all of us come into this room and into this series as we talk about the bait of Satan in one of two positions and maybe both. Having been offended by something else somebody did to you or being the one who offended somebody else. True or false? Yep, right? And so as we begin to look back at what role does offense play in relationships and how does Satan use it as bait? Because it's the very first position. It's the hook. And it's like, if I can get you, Satan, is, if I can, the enemy, if I can get you to be offended, then you'll back away. You'll retaliate. You'll say things. You'll begin to believe, well, I can never trust them again. And separation of relationship, which the Bible says ends up leading to lawlessness, meaning I'm no longer wanting or even desiring to act on your behalf. And I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want you to act on my behalf at all either. And Satan does a lot with this. Churches are split. People leave churches because of it. Go to other churches. We have 400 churches in this town. Do we really believe that's the way God intended it to be? With people who say they love the Lord, but they can't get along with each other. Was it not Jesus who said, how can you love God whom you've never seen if you can't even love each other, love your brother whom you have seen. So this is a big deal. And so, as we talked about it, this idea of offense, it comes from this book by John Bevere, The Bait of Satan. And the hook in his questions are, are you compelled to tell your side of the story? If someone has done something against you, really hurt your feelings, or where you felt betrayed, do you really want to get on the megaphone and go announce to everybody and tell everybody how you've been wounded and what somebody did? Are you really compelled to go and just tell everybody, to trash them verbally? Number two, do you fight thoughts of suspicion or distrust? If you've been wounded over and over, so you're like, I can't trust them. I will never trust them again. There's no way I will. Those kind of thoughts. Are you constantly rehearsing past hurts? Have you been so deeply wounded that you can't forget it? And that it is paralyzing you where you are right now? Where it's keeping you from talking to someone, picking up the phone and calling them, or enjoying relationship, or even feeling free to walk in the abundance of what God has called you to do? And have you lost hope because of what someone did to you? 
I don't think I'll ever recover from that. I'll never forget that. They have ruined my life. Maybe these are thoughts that you have had. Maybe you've heard these kind of thoughts said because of something that you did to somebody else. And so the big idea is this deadly trap of offense. Satan uses it to destroy everything. I just want to pause right here and just tell you. I have already had people to come and begin sharing stories of when they have been offended or when they offended someone else. And I just want you to know already God has started using this series as a place of healing. Breaking strongholds. And it does not feel good when you go and say, I just need to confess I have done something that offended somebody. It doesn't feel right, does it? But God is setting people free right now. And so I just, at the very beginning of this message, I just want you to know it's more than a series. This is our family. And so if you're carrying wounds, and you've been carrying them for a long time, if you've been hurt or betrayed, and, and, it's, and it's kept you from really enjoying the blessing of God, or when you see that person, you want to walk in the opposite direction, I'm telling you, Today is the day of salvation. God wants to set you free, and we're going to talk about how. And, and it really is even worse when it comes from somebody who we trusted, who we loved, who was our friend. Uh, psalm 55 says it this way, and this is David writing in this psalm. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, that I would fly away and rest. I would fly, fly far away to a quiet place of the wilderness. How quickly I would escape far from this wild storm of hatred. Something had happened in David's life where he felt like he was being attacked. And, and this hate was coming on him. And he just wanted to get away. Have you ever been there? Where, it's, it's, I can't believe all of this is, why are you coming at me like that? And he said, listen, if, if it was my enemy who taunts me, I could bear that. If it was, you know, not my foes who so arrogantly insult me, I could have hidden from them. But instead, it's you, my equal, my companion and close friend. And if you remember the life of David, it was his close friend who betrayed him. Who partnered with his son, Absalom. And tried to overthrow him as king. What's that like when you feel like your children are against you. And your best friend is against you. It feels like your whole world is collapsing. And so David is like, I could, I could handle it if it was an enemy. But it was it's from you. My friend, you've, the wound is deeper. Because it was my friend who betrayed me. And I can't let it go. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together in the house of God. I remember of, a, of what it was like. The good days we shared. And now, look at where we are. And oftentimes it's very pointed. Look at what you've done, right? It's very personal and very wounding. And so we have to pause and ask this question. If you have been genuinely mistreated... Do you have the right to be offended? And you have an outline in front of you. And, and, and I would like for you to really take notes today. Because today we're going to talk about how can I escape the offense that I've been holding for so long. 
do you have the right to be offended? And I guess the truth is, yes, you have the right to be offended, but does it serve you well? Is it working? Is that God's best plan for you? And so last week, the message ended with this thought. Saying yes to Jesus means we remove our right to be offended. And this is where Taryn left off. And this is where we pick up today. Meaning, I have a choice in the matter. And I must willingly choose to let go of the offense. I must choose to forgive. I must choose to let it go. Now, I always feel like in the middle of this we have to kind of pause because there's so much abuse that goes on in our nation and so many people who've been really physically and sexually and just really wounded and abused. It does not mean that you're just going to say, okay, I'm going to restore all the trust and put my life back in your hands when you care nothing about me or God. But it does mean I have to release and let go of the offense. How do you do that? So last week we talked about what is it, what is the offense, and what's going on inside of me, and how can I recognize it. And today, this week, we're going to talk about how to release that, because there's really only a couple of options. Some people who get really wounded, who've been deeply wounded, especially from a friend or a spouse or close friend or a coworker, whatever those things are, they make a decision to, to back away, and I'm never opening up my heart again. I'm not letting anybody else in. I'm not giving anybody else permission or the right to offend me, to betray me, to wound me ever again. And so you live a life that's all sheltered and, and, and closed off because you're afraid you're going to get hurt again. And that is a choice. And so for, for people who are like that, it's probably true. You're, you may not be offended at its deepest level. You may not ever be betrayed again. But at what sacrifice? Because you're not being able to enjoy the relationship you know, that God is wanting to bless your life with. Or you do open yourself up to relationships. You do put yourself out into a trusted relationship and you run the risk of being offended. And so how do I release that? How do I break that? Well, I want to go back into this story of Joseph right from the very beginning. And in chapter 37, verse 3, this is how the story begins. Jacob had a lot of children, had a lot of boys, and uh, Joseph was one of them. There ended up being 12, you know, boys, and there were some girls, a lot of siblings. And at the time, he was the youngest. And look at what the Bible says. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. Now, he's the favorite. Now, maybe this is rhetorical. Maybe you shouldn't uh, raise your hand and talk about this. Have, uh, have, have there ever been favorites in your home, you know, with your parents or in your life, and you were not the favorite? <laughs> Anyone, right? It's like, I know I'm not the favorite here. I just get tired of bearing that. I get tired of carrying it. I get tired of being told. I get tired of being reminded. I get tired of being left out. And boy, if you, if, if you take that bait and you get offended, it leads to resentment, which leads to bitterness, which leads to hatred, which leads to separation of relationship, right? I mean, it, 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 it starts a path that goes in a direction you don't want to go. Well, that's, now, listen, I can understand a little bit of this, born to him in his old age. I'm old, and I'm just now a grandparent. Did I ever told you all that? Did I tell you that? I'm a grandparent. 
I'll probably end up telling you again. I enjoy it. I kind of like, I'm not even living in the same state. But every day I want a picture. I want to talk. I want to communicate. I want to look. And I'm trying to, because in my old age, I realize how precious life is. When I was young and I had children, I, listen, my children made me grow up. <laughs> Anyone, right? You have children and you realize how immature you really are, right? And how, man, I thought I had it all figured out and I realize I don't. And now here's a little bundle of blessing waiting on me to get it right so that their life can be blessed, right? And so you fight through all that. Then you get old and you end up, you know, have grandchildren. And boy, I tell you what, I don't love that grandson more than I love my children, but it's pretty close. <laughs> and so here's Joseph, and he's the favorite and his brothers know it. And not only that, he's got a bunch of dreams. God has given him this ability to see visions and see dreams and be able to interpret them. And he would go to his brothers and do that all the time. And he had a special coat that his dad made him. And oh, man, every time they would see him coming, they're like, oh, boy, here comes Joseph. Here comes the dreamer. Everybody bow down. Here he comes, Mr. Favorite, daddy's little boy. Right? And so they're just sick of it. And so, if you wanted to be offended right from the very beginning, he could be because none of his brothers liked him. And it led to something more. Chapter 37, verse 19. Here comes the dreamer, all of his brothers said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. There he comes, and I'm not dealing with it anymore. I've put up with that favorite as much as I'm going to. Let's just kill him. And then we can take his coat, we can dip it in blood, and we can go to our dad, and we can do our best acting job. And we'll say, I'm so sorry. I don't know what happened. He must have been eating my wild animal. I can't believe it. Oh, dad, I'm so sorry. Right? All a lie. Now, did they kill him? No. What did they do? Yep, they did throw him down in the hole. And then they sold him into slavery. Later on, we find out when they start having remorse about what they did, they're telling the story. Remember when they said, don't you remember how much he begged us with tears? Don't do this to me, please. Ooh. Ooh. Have you ever been betrayed that badly by someone you loved, someone you trusted? And so, now this is the, you know, the, the second time. He could hold a fence and look at what they did. And so they sold him into slavery. He was a teenager. And he was scared out of his mind. And he went to Egypt. They put him up on the auction block. And they sold him. And he was sold into Potiphar's house. Potiphar was a wealthy man, had a lot. And, and Joseph went to work for him as a slave. As time went on, he became a very trusted slave. And Potiphar put him in charge of everything in his household. And one person took particular like to him. Who was it? Potiphar's wife. And she wanted Joseph for a little bit more than just cleaning the house and doing the work around the house. She wanted him to herself. And so she kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on. And Joseph said no and said no and said no. Until one day she planned the whole thing. Got everybody out of the house except Joseph. Called him in. 
and just ripped his clothes off and thought, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, today's the day. And that man had so much integrity, he just ran out of the house naked. And so I, I think I can say that, you know, in church. And Joseph had to put up with Potiphar's wife making a lie. She calls in her husband, and she puts on her crocodile tears. You're not going to believe what that slave of yours did to me. He tried to rape me in my own house, in our own bedroom. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held. And there he remained. This line, and there he remained, is uh, the Hebrew way of saying, there he was to die. He was put in that prison to die. Now, this wasn't just any prison. This wasn't the, you know, the public prison. This was the king, the Pharaoh's prison. This was, if you tried to assassinate, you know, Pharaoh, you tried to assassinate the king, you did something to him, you went to his prison. It was excavated out, and it was underneath the palace, no light, no windows, totally dark. All they had was bread and water, and they were only given enough to keep them alive, but not to keep them comfortable. They were made to suffer every way possible. Psalms even talked about how the, his body was bruised by the locks and chains that they put on him. And he was there 12 years, but over time, he won favor with that prison guard, and he was put in charge of all the other prisoners. There, now he could have been offended again at Potiphar's wife and at Potiphar, and maybe he was. Maybe he held that offense for a long time. We don't know. We know he was in prison those 12 years. And maybe while he was there, he got to the end of himself and really began to trust God. Maybe he never took offense and trusted God the whole time. I don't know. I typically have to work through things like that. It takes a little while to get it out. Am I the only one? Or you, you have to kind of work things out. And over time, you find your place of healing and forgiveness. And so... He tells a couple of dreams. One to a guy, didn't work out so well. Another to a cupbearer of the king. And the cupbearer had this dream. He couldn't interpret it. And Joseph said, you know what? You're going to get your job back. You're going to be restored back as the cupbearer to the king. And he's like, are you kidding? Are you kidding? It really is going to happen? He's like, yeah, it's going to happen. He said, oh, and by the way, please listen to me. Listen, when you're restored, would you do me a favor? Don't forget about me. And tell Pharaoh, I don't deserve to be here. And, and would, you, would you mention that, you know, to the king? Would you mention that to Pharaoh? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You can bet if I ever get out of here, I'm going to take care of you. I got you. <laughs> Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. That ever happened? Where someone calls you when they really need you, they're really hurting, they're desperate, and, and you spend time with them, you help them get past their crisis, and they, get, and they promise you, oh, I'll never forget this, I'm going to tell you, and they get past their crisis, and then they never forget, they forget all of the stuff they ever promised you. 
They forget, oh, I'll tell you what, I'm never going to do this again. And then they all of a sudden find relief and go right back to being who they were. And you're like, oh, my, here we go again. Is this ever, am I talking just to myself or are you under? <laughs> Doesn't this happen all the time? And so can't you see over and over and over, Joseph has all these people who, who have hurt him, wounded him intentionally. And so finally, the Pharaoh has a dream, and nobody can interpret it. And, and the cupbearer remembers, oh, there was this prisoner. I don't even know if he's still alive. And I had a dream, and he told me that I was going to be restored, and I was. I bet he can interpret. They call up Joseph. Joseph hears the dream, prays about it, goes back and says, Pharaoh, here it is. There's going to be seven years where we're going to have more produce, more crop, more harvest than we can hold. It's going to be abundant. But after those seven years, there's going to be seven years of famine. And God has given you this dream so that you can make preparation now and hold back and store into barns and gather in these next seven years so that when the time of famine comes, we'll all have enough and you will increase your influence and power around the world. And it will grow because people will come to you for help. He loved that. And it came true. And so over time, Joseph, it comes up to now be second in command of all of Egypt. Second only to Pharaoh. And his beard has grown, and he's an older man, and he's speaking Egyptian. And guess what? Some wandering Jews from a little village come wandering in because they have nothing to eat. And they come in and they say, can we buy some grain from you? And Joseph looks at them, and it's who? His brothers. What's it like when you come face to face with the one who betrayed you the most? You've avoided, you've avoided, you've avoided, you've avoided. And then finally there you are face to face. And you have the upper hand. What do you do? I, don't, I wish I had enough time to go into all of this story with you today. But Joseph the whole time knew he had forgiven and was going to restore relationship. But he teased around and he played with them a little. And he was just asking them while, you know, while he's filling their bags of grain. How's, how's, your, how's your father? Is he still alive? And he found out that he was. I mean, what else is going on in your family? And he found out he had a younger brother named Benjamin. And he wanted to see Benjamin. And so he created a plot. And he did a couple of things with money and with grain and eventually with his own personal silver cup. And he put it in their bag and it made it look like they were thieves. And he's like, I was so gracious to you. You came begging me for help and I'm trying to help your family and you stole from me? Why would you do that? And they're like, we didn't mean to. It was a mistake. We didn't. We would never do that on purpose. And he said, well, you're going to have to stay here and go to jail. And you're going to have to go get you know, your youngest brother and bring him to me. And they're like, oh, we can't do that. Our father would die if we did that. And then they start crying. They're speaking in Hebrew. 
He's only spoken to them in Egyptian. They didn't recognize him. They didn't know he was their brother. They didn't know that he could understand them. And they're over on one side, and they're all crying, and they're saying, don't you remember how he begged us not to kill him, not to sell him into slavery? And now God is punishing us all these years later. God was watching what we did. And it's just now coming back. Do you know you will reap what you sow? I'll just leave that there. And so, Joseph had to leave the room. He was overcome with emotion. He comes back in. He kicks everybody out. Get everybody, get out, 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 out. Everybody out. And he's left alone with these men. And the Bible says, he told them, he was overcome with emotion. He couldn't quit crying. And he said, I am your brother Joseph. And they're like, what? He's like, you came from this land and you have this father and his name is Jacob and you have this younger brother and you have this and this is where you've been living and this is what you've been doing. And you sold your brother into slavery and he came here. And the Bible says they were stunned that this man was speaking to them like that, saying that he was their brother. And as they were looking at each other, Joseph said this in Genesis 45, please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer, and he said again, I believe this time in Hebrew, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. And then, what's he going to do with his power? Is he going to blame? Is he going to hold it over their head? Why did you do that? How dare you? Don't, don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your life. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. What you meant to destroy me, God meant to save you. And he somehow got to this place to where he did not hold any resentment for the past wound. And if that's not enough, it's confirmed again over in Psalm 105. Where he, this is speaking of God, called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then he, God, sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Now, when you have all these deep wounds that you're carrying, because, and if I were to ask you, just make a list of people who've really hurt you, really who've really wounded you. Where you've been so easily offended. Where you're no longer talking to them. And listen, in our family, I can remember, you know, there was an uncle, a late uncle now, he's passed away. Didn't speak to his daughter for 13 years because of something she did. And on his deathbed, I can remember my father going to him and saying, Listen, cuz, forgive her and call her. And he refused to do it and ended his life that way now we none of us want that to be us right none of us want to carry offense that long to have separation of relationship that lasts like that 
And so how do we overcome it? How do we break that? Because these are our only two options. We're going to hold on to the offense and we're going to blame everybody. And you might even be right, but you're going to lose out on the blessing of relationship and all the plans that God has for you. Or you're going to give it to God and let it go. And trust that God's going to bring healing and hold you and keep you safe from being hurt. So how do I do that? How do we release offense? Number one, choose to trust God. Whew, that's an easy, I mean, it just sounds so easy. It just rolls off the tongue so easy. Just trust God. It's that simple. Just trust him. And it, it sounds very simple, and it's not easy to do, is it? Because we want to hold on. We want, have you ever played the blame game? Where it's like, you know, if it weren't for fill in the blank, my life would be better my blank would be better. If it weren't for my spouse, my marriage would be better. If it weren't for my boss, my career would be better. If it weren't for my children, I'd have more money and joy. And, right? I mean, fill in the blanks. If it weren't for, I could be, do you do that? It, does that define your life and where you are? Because at some point, you're going to get tired of carrying that burden. And so what God is asking us to do is to give it to him. I give up my right to hold on to this offense. And I give it to God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord. Give it to him. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. So we begin to trust in God. We stop playing the blame game. We stop pointing our fingers at everybody else. If it weren't for you, my life would be happy and I would be you. Oh man, let it go, please. Let it go. And begin to take what God has in store for you. It's easy to say and hard to do. Because sometimes it's the opposite. You are the one who did the offending. And trusting God means that you go and you have to reveal something and confess something and ask for forgiveness. And that is the most courageous thing a human can do. And that is not easy. But God will go before you. And he will take care of you. So you got to believe it. you got to know it. So trust God. Number two, stay the course. Stay the course. By staying the course, I mean there's something that, you know, you were going on a path and God has a path for you. God has a plan for you. And you need to stay on that path. And don't get sidetracked by offenses. And start harboring them and holding them in. And letting that keep you from what God has planned for you. God, teach me lessons, Psalm 119. Teach me lessons for living so I can stay the course. Give me insight so I can do what you tell me. My whole life, one long, obedient response. This is from the message. I love the way that he's written that. Just, I want to stay the course, God. I want to keep my eyes focused on you. I don't want to keep harboring all this stuff that's just bound me down and help me. I just want one long, I want my whole life to be an obedient response to you. 
I want to stay that course. I want to believe that what you have planned for me is greater than anything else. And by the way, I give them eternal life. This is what uh, Jesus said in, in John. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me and he is more more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. No one can take you out of the will of God. I better say that this way. The only one who can take you out of God's will is you. And you give that power away if you hold a fence. And you start, and then you withhold, and you change paths. Let it go. Was it not Jesus on the cross when he released it and said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. You release it. Because God has a plan for you. And nobody else, whether they've hurt you or not, nobody can take you out of God's plan for you. Only you can remove yourself from God's plan. That's, that's very important. Number three, believe God is present. God is with you, God is with you, God is with you. You may be saying, man, I've got so much going on. I've got so many secrets. I've wounded so many people. And a bunch of the stuff, they have no idea. They wouldn't know unless I just opened it up and told them. But God is with you. And he's going to help you. He's going to protect you. And he knows everything. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it. I love this line. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. God is all around you, all over you, with you, in you, through you. God is with you. And he is going before you, laying out a path. And he is going behind you, keeping you strong. And saying, don't veer off one way or the other. God is with you. And if you'll trust him, if you'll let him, he will heal everything that has been wounding you. And protect you with his plans for your life. Number four, cooperate with God's refinement. And this is a hard one. Because this is the one that says, I play a role in offenses. Even if somebody offended me, there, there may have been something that I did that added to it that brought it on. And this is giving God permission to come in and change your heart. To operate, to do surgery and cut out all the things in you that... You're not even proud of. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years. <laughs> doing the best they knew. You know the best they knew how. My parents did the best they knew how. And it was not easy. And so if you're a teenager and you're sitting here. And your parents are disciplining you. And you don't like it. Listen. Grab hold of this. It's only going to last a few years. <laughs> Hopefully. And they're doing the best they know how. We, we, none of us want our kids to carry any burdens because of us, any wounds because of us. Amen. I don't want my children carrying a burden because of my mistakes. And I know you don't want your children carrying burdens because of yours. And he's like, we do the best we can. However, God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. 
God is disciplining us. And these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Your faith is precious. And God is heating it up, heating you up, and refining you. He'll make it difficult so that you have to face the worst things about you. And then decide, am I going to defend that, hold on to it, or am I going to confess it and let it go? Because God's not in the, he's not in the process of condemning you. He's in the process of saving you. Amen? And so that's a tough one, but let God refine you. And then finally, hold tightly to your dream. Hold tightly to your dream. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Habakkuk says this, write the vision, make it clear on tablets so that anyone can read it quickly. The vision will still happen at the appointed time. It hurries toward its goal. It won't be a lie. If it's delayed, wait for it. It will certainly happen. It won't be late. I know you have a dream. You're a dreamer. You have a vision of what you want your life to look like and feel like and be like. Hold on to that dream. And don't let past wounds take you away from it. Trust in God and give over to him. Let him keep you on the course that he has planned for your life. Let go of offenses. Keep your dream and hold tightly to it. Let God's refining fire transform you. Woo, okay, that's fast. That's a lot. And you might not get there overnight. Joseph got to this place of healing with his brothers. He might not have always been there. You might be in the place where you're like, Rick, that is something that I want to do, but it may take a while for me to get there. Well, today is your first step. Today's the beginning of it. Tyler, go ahead. Worship team, come up and join me. This is the time where we're going to go into communion and we have it set up up front and in the back. We have it upstairs. And instead of just hurrying out and getting to lunch and getting to our next appointment, what I really want to do is just let the Word of God sit on us a little bit. I want you just to breathe without me having to say any words. And I want to carve out just a little space for God to start speaking to your heart. What are you carrying how long have you been carrying it? Do you want to carry it any longer? Do you think you can let it go? Can you give it to God? Can you do it today? Now's your opportunity. And so, if someone wounded you or if you did the wounding... If Satan is pointing his finger and accusing you in some way, ask for healing and forgiveness. Let go of whatever someone has done to you. Let God refine and purify and change you. This communion is open. This is a time of prayer. This is how we'll end our service. So as they play a song over this next few minutes, if you won't come and share in communion, bring somebody with you. Do it together. Sit in your seat and offer your own prayer. Worship however you choose. But these next few minutes are yours. It's the invitation of God. Come to God's healing.
Let's pray.